I just want to start off by saying I'm sorry for letting you down. Um, there was a, a quite a bit of people who found out about the series and wanted me to come out with like a suit and put on a sweater and put on new shoes. That's just, it's not my kind of like, it's just not me. I don't know. I, this, that's a lot of work. You know, I'll start breathing hard and everything. So you got to tie your shoe. That's kind of a hard work with a guy like me. But um, so I'm, I apologize for that. Uh, but today we are um, going to be starting a brand new series. I'm super excited about this one. Uh, but I just got to start off and say, like, it's already August. Like, summer is, like, coming to an end. Somebody told me uh, about a month ago, like, I can't remember when the, when the days start getting shorter. But once they told me that, they're like, up oh, tomorrow the days will start getting shorter. And I'm like, why did you have to tell me that? But it's already August and school's around the corner. My wife already spent a whole month's wages on school supplies, which I have no idea how many, how much, you know, that skyrocketed. It's kind of crazy. Uh, but speaking of the school season, I would like to ask how many in, uh, in here are an educator? If you're an educator, if you're a teacher, you work in the school system, um, I would just like to say that I don't think anybody really truly understands the work that you guys do, that you guys uh, put in during the school year from 7 a.m. to the moment you're, you know, you're in bed and you're still working on your stuff. Can we just honor our educators in here for a moment? You guys definitely have a gift. Uh, my wife is a teacher and I don't really see her during the school year and so I get a lot of free time for myself. Um, not really, but uh, just thank you for all the work that you do every single day. Um, but this year has really flown by. God has been doing some really awesome things uh, in and through our church. Uh, this year so far, we've had 125 new people join a Tea Life group that John had just talked about. 125 so far that year. That's like three churches uh, in groups. Um, we've had 91 new people start serving on a team for the first time, which I think is awesome. Just all the things that happen here, that's pretty great. Um, and then one of the things that I think is really cool is we've had 136 more people attending on a Sunday morning than we started with in January. So um, people watching online, people uh, coming here on a Sunday morning, I think it's pretty awesome. We've had 41 more people join our volunteer staff who have committed to drive uh, the mission uh, forward, the mission of our church, the mission of Jesus forward. I think that is pretty good. And there's 20 more people currently working through that right now. Um, and you can do that through Relevant 101 and 201. Um, I think that's pretty awesome, but uh, there's a, a lot of stuff that's been going on in our next-gen ministries so far this year. We've had 380 K-5th through fifth graders attend Summer Blasts every day of the week, and out of the 380, there were 42 of them who said, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. Yeah. We also had 84 middle schoolers uh, go to Wisconsin this summer at some point. I spent my time during that time in St. Augustine, Florida. But the middle schoolers uh, went to Wisconsin for some non-air conditioning uh, cabins. And there were six of those who decided to follow Jesus for the very first time, which I think is awesome. And we had nine high schoolers who took a trip to Thailand and served at an orphanage for a whole week. And we had 43 high schoolers uh, go to Daytona Beach, Florida. They call it camp, but it's Oceanside. I don't really think that's a camp. That's not really, that's not fair to say it. You went like on a resort trip or whatever. But on that trip out of the 43 high, high schoolers who went there, there were seven of those who put their faith in Jesus for the very first time. And then there were seven who got baptized in the Atlantic Ocean, which I also think is pretty awesome. So... Good job, all you guys, and all the investment that you're making. And listen to this. So far at Relevant, and this kind of blows my mind. This year, so far, there's been 197 people total 
who have given their lives to Jesus through Relevant. 197. And these aren't just like, raise my hands, we never see them again. These are names and addresses, and we've been in contact with all these people. And so um, can we just give God praise for all the things that he has been doing uh, in our church today? So praising includes clapping. You can do that. So. Uh, but if you're looking to engage, August is a great month. John talked about that today. August is a great month to join a T-Life group, serve on a team, uh, join a class and learn some stuff, uh, and then engage in Relevant 101 and 201. And so um, you can do that by the Next Steps area in the foyer. You can get on our Relevant app or you can get online. You can text connected to 55444, all that stuff. You can do that uh, this month. But church, we are so proud of you. We're so proud of what you're doing in our church, using your gifts. Um, you guys are making a huge difference. So like I said, uh, today we are starting a brand new series called The Art of Neighboring, and I love to tell stories, so I'm going to start with a few. Uh, when I was in elementary school, um, I lived seven miles out of town in a, in a country, in the country, in a little blue house that my dad found. Um, it was overgrown by a lot of grass and stuff, uh, but somehow he turned it into a livable condition for us. Um, but there were gravel roads that would eventually turn into dirt roads there. And although uh, we were a little spread out, we did have neighbors uh, that lived down the road from us. To our west, about a mile, was our neighbor named Henry. And Henry had two daughters. And Henry was very, very scary to me. Uh, she had an old white truck. And every time, Henry, every time she would drive by, Henry's elbow would be hanging out the window. And her hair would be blowing in the wind. And she would stare me down so hard when I'd be standing in the yard. And I felt murdered by her every time she drove by. And I'm not sure if you caught it, but Henry was a woman, and that confused me. And I'm not sure if it's because she was named Henry or what, but Henry was somehow to me the wife and the husband at the same time. She was very terrifying. We never spoke. Uh, to the east, up the hill the other direction, we had some neighbors who I called the fireworks neighbors. Um, they had fireworks business. They had this really cool barn on their property. And one night out of nowhere, my, my uh, sister and I were just kind of playing in the yard. It's dark. Uh, one night out of nowhere, they set all of their fireworks on fire, on, not on fire. They, they, they set them off. And we had this amazing show from like a mile away. And I'm like, man, this is not even the 4th of July yet. It was the biggest show that I've ever seen with fireworks. It was simply amazing. And we watched it in wonder. And on the way back to town the next day, we realized that the barn was gone. That's where they stored the fireworks. It was very sad, uh, but we made sure to wave at them on our way by so they'd feel our love and support for them as they lost their barn. Um, and to our south, uh, right before another dirt road, was a guy named Bud, and I never met Bud, uh, but I saw him drive home every single day, and sometimes I'd see him driving his cattle with his truck. If you're kind of in the farmer arena, uh, it's Nebraska, some of you guys are. You can honk your horn a bunch, and then somehow the cows just kind of follow along. It doesn't make any sense to me, uh, but that happens. I don't know where they were going. Uh, but one day, Bud just randomly disappeared, and it was kind of sad. I never knew why, um, but it was sad. He just kind of gone. So uh, when, we, when I was in middle school, we moved to town, and I had a whole lot of different neighbors, uh, very different neighbors. Um, to the north was a single mom. We called her the game show mom. She loved game shows, especially that one with uh, Jeopardy. It's got the like a doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, whatever that theme song is. But I'd hear that blaring out of her window like every day around 4 o'clock. And I'd hear her say things like, who is Richard Nixon? Or who is? And she'd just start slamming these things out. She, we just called her the game show mom. 
And if you've ever seen the movie, uh, the original Annie, that classic musical called Annie, she kind of looked like Miss Hannigan. <laughs> now, she didn't act like Miss Hannigan, she just looked like Miss Hannigan. So I really enjoyed that neighbor. Um, sometimes I'd go over there and watch game shows with her and her son. And to the east lived my first girlfriend. To the south lived my second girlfriend. And to the west lived a girl who wanted to be my girlfriend, but I just did not like her hair at all. So there was no way that was going to happen. And then diagonal out the front door of my house was our art teacher. And her name was Miss Brown. And she had really good hair, let me tell you. She had really good hair. Uh, but right before I went to high school, we moved again to Iowa, and we had more neighbors. Across the street lived a single mom. Uh, to her west was the Catholic priest of the local parish. Uh, I really liked that guy, but he was kind of grouchy. I'm not exactly sure why, but he was kind of grouchy to me. And then to the east was an old lady widow who could barely carry in her groceries. But I bet that um, you've also had a lot of neighbors growing up. I've had a lot of neighbors growing up. And I can remember something about every single one of them. And I'm sure it's the same for you. You could probably describe your neighbors. You could probably describe your neighbor's routine. When they leave for work. When they get home. How late they stay up. For some, you know when they like to party. Tuesday nights, that kind of gets strange. If you're partying on a Tuesday night, like you might need something in your life. I don't know. You know which ones are happy. You know the grumpy neighbors. And you definitely know the weird ones and the mysterious ones and where they live. Which I want to say, by the way, everyone has that weird neighbor. I've got some weird neighbors. Um, Josh and Ashley Wietrich, they work here. <laughs> I'm just saying their name. He didn't let me finish. Josh asked me for an axe at 11.30 at night one time. I don't know why. I got a text. I'm like, this is kind of weird to me. But I mean, somehow, no matter where you live, there's always that weird neighbor. And you know who I'm talking about. You're probably visualizing them right now, but I want to warn you as your pastor, as one of your pastors, that if for some reason you're looking around on your street or wherever you live and you don't have that weird neighbor, it might be you. <laughs> Which I want to flip the script here for just a moment. I want, to, I want you to just think about this for a second. Your neighbors also know things about you. And that's kind of creepy to think about because... They're watching you, and they know your routine, and they probably know a lot more about you than you think, and I guarantee you that they stare out the window through their blinds to spy on you, and how do I know that? Because you do the same thing to them, and speaking of windows, I guarantee you that they know about the moments that you've gotten a little bit too comfortable in your living room, and you forgot to close the shades. That happens in our neighborhoods, but neighbors are funny, and all neighbors make assumptions about each other. You make them about them, and they make them about you. And, then ba and those, those assumptions lead us to making judgments uh, about our neighbors. Uh, number one would be like, what kind of window stickers do they have on their SUV? How many of those little stick figures plus nine dogs and a giraffe do they have on the back of their, their window? What kind of flag do they have hanging in their, their, their window of their house? What color is the flag? Is it a, a picture of like a snake? Is it a picture of the American flag? Is it other things like we all, what sports team? We all make assumptions based upon what flags they have hanging in their front window. We make assumptions and judgments based upon what their kids look like. And we all know other people's kids aren't always the best looking and we blame it on the parents. 
My kids are great looking. Um, but we also, choose, we also make assumptions based upon the dog that they choose and wonder why the heck they chose that one. And we also make judgments based upon that, and then we sit and watch and wonder as they start to transform into looking like their dogs. <laughs> Neighbors are funny, and we make assumptions based upon that. But it's easy to draw negative conclusions about our neighbors, but these assumptions is what usually keeps us from making friends with them. And so we just keep doing what we always do, and we leave for work, and we come back home from work, and maybe give that little smile and wave as we drive by. We maybe do that little elevator smile, you know. It happens to all of us. I, do, I did it yesterday to somebody, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I hope they don't live in my street. Because what if they're in here tomorrow and they're like, you did that to me yesterday. I really did do that yesterday. But we do the same things every day and then we drive home into our garage, we close the door and we start scrolling through our phones. And why do we do that? Well, there's a lot of reasons why we might avoid contact with them. But after we've waved at them, after you do that little elevator smile, after, after you've, you know, you've put the trash cans on the street and kind of looked at them for a second, have you ever asked yourself, who are they really? Like, who are these guys? When they close the door behind them, who are they inside that house? I like to talk about middle school. I don't know why. Um, it's, a, it's great years. You probably won't remember them by the time you're my age, but for some reason I do remember a few things. Uh, but when I was in middle school in Hamilton, Missouri, there was an older guy who lived on the corner of our street. And he never really went outside much, and no one really knew who he was. Uh, he was a mystery. And uh, all the greenery around his house and the trees and the grass, it was all way overgrown. I don't think he's mowed his yard in 10 years. Um, but he never, he, he had a bunch of dogs. He had an old white Cadillac that was broken down in his driveway. It had one of those like metal, uh, you know, you put on the extension of your house. You can put like a metal roof and park your car under there, whatever those things are called. What is that called? Carport, yeah. He had that and his broke down Cadillac outside. It had some surface rust on there. But the talk of our street was to never go near his house. And as a young middle schooler, that was very curious to me because when you tell, don't do this, what do you want to go? You want to go near his house and see what's going on. But one day when I was walking home from school, I actually saw him come out of his front door and he was walking really, really, really slow. And he had one of those walkers with him. And my heart kind of just is like, well, he doesn't look that dangerous to me. Why can't we go near his house? But here's what's true about our neighbors. Just like you, they have a story. And just like you, they have a history. And just like you, they have a past and they had a childhood and they had someone who raised them and, and someone who shaped them into who they are today and why they act the way they act today. They're just like you. And our neighbors have a present they have current circumstances that they are working through. Maybe it's job-related stress. Maybe they have bills to pay that they're behind on. Maybe they have responsibilities and relationships to maintain and reconcile. Um, there's some that are probably going through a sickness, and there's some happy, and there's some sad ones, and some are struggling with loneliness behind that closed door. And they have a future, and they're going to go through things. And just like you, they have ups and downs, and and they have uncertainties, and they wonder what 10 years from now is going to look like for them. And think about this. Our neighbors have needs. We have needs. Our neighbors have needs. There's practical needs. 
There's relational needs, and they have spiritual needs. And just like you, they want to have a purpose. And they want to do something significant with their lives and something that really matters and makes a difference. They want to be known by others. And they want to be seen. And they want to be loved. And they want to be cared for. And at the end of the day, just like you and me, they all long for a place to belong and to be accepted. And they desire friendship. And just like you, they want good communities to live in. And God loves them, and he wants to transform their lives, and he's chasing after them, and he wants a relationship with them. But just like you, they will either spend eternity with God or away from God. Have you ever thought about this question? My wife asked me this question the other day, and it made it up on the screen today. But do we have a responsibility to our neighbors? And she wasn't asking me that because she didn't know. It was a rhetorical question. Do we have a responsibility to our neighbors? Whether you live in a house or on an acreage or an apartment or a duplex or a condo, maybe in a college dorm, do you have a responsibility to your neighbors? That's kind of the question of the day. One of my favorite things about the internet is that you can find really anything you want to know about other people. Um, You can look up almost anything you want to know about other people's houses. I've done it. I don't know if you've done it, but I have. You can, you can see how many square foot they have. Uh, you can see what they paid for it. You can make judgments and assumptions based upon that. You can, you can see how much they pay in taxes every year if they're behind on their taxes. The Internet's kind of creepy. Uh, but what's even more creepy is that you can type in someone's address and literally zoom in and see their front door. To me, that's kind of strange. Thank the Lord it's not live when it's happening. That would also kind of make me a little nervous, but over the last few minutes, let's just imagine for a moment that we've been kind of zoomed into your neighborhood. Let me show you my neighborhood. Um, I live in a neighborhood on 204th of Maple. It's called Winterburn Heights. It's right there. You can, that dot is my house, I think. Um, but let's just pretend for a moment that we're going to start zooming out of our neighborhood, zooming out of the state of Nebraska, all the way until you can start seeing the whole globe. I feel like I want to reference the flat earth believers in here too, because, you know, that's a thing. But let's just pretend like, you know, it doesn't, that doesn't even matter. Um, but if you're like me, when you watch the news, you can't help but feel a bit overwhelmed. Uh, because there are so many problems. There's wars, of, there's wars and rumors of wars, and there's extreme poverty, and people without water, and sickness, and disease. And, and we can watch all about the mental health problems, and the divisions among the nations, and the races, and... And there's endless stories of child abuse and school shootings and suicides. And my latest uh, YouTube obsession right now is to click on all the different, not click, you, what, I don't know, you don't click YouTube when you're watching on TV. Somehow I talk into the remote and I say drug problems. And then the YouTube video shows up, all these people driving by and looking at all the people that are just strung out on drugs. I could spend hours doing that. And then my thought is like, how do, you even get a, how do you even get ahead of this whole thing? But that's everywhere. And if you get on Twitter, everyone is angry and everyone is fighting and arguing. If you get on TikTok, while there's a lot of funny stuff on there, it is so filled with confusion and sadness. It's terrible. But when we take a step back and look at the world, it seems to be that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And it can be overwhelming. 
And we know this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. Or at least, we don't want it to be like this, but what do we do about it? Where do we even start? The problems are just so massive. I don't even know where to start. And who's responsible for this? Is it more government programs? More school programs? More school aftercare? Is it the responsibility of the educators to take care of these problems and notice them? I'll be honest, many times these problems seem so overwhelming and, and that I just want to get home as soon as I can, pull my car into the garage, shut the door behind me, close my blinds, maybe look at the neighbor a little bit, stay inside where it's predictable and controllable and comfortable. And then hope and wait that somebody else will take care of those problems. But let me pose a question for today. What if the solution to the society's biggest problems has been right in front of us for over 2,000 years? What if? I want to take us to a story recorded in the Bible that many of us in here have probably heard many times before. Um, and if you haven't, that's okay. We're going to look at this together. But this story is found in the first book of uh, the New Testament called the book of Matthew. And this documents a very interesting interaction between Jesus and a Pharisee. Now, there's not enough time today to talk all about the Pharisees. They're kind of, a, kind of an interesting kind of person. But uh, in short, a Pharisee was an expert in all things religious law. This was their job. They're an expert in all things religious law. They, they knew laws, uh, moral laws regarding murder, theft, and honest, uh, things about honesty and adultery. They, they kept track of the social laws regarding poverty and inheritances and marriage and divorce and food laws and, and purity laws and feast laws and sacrificial laws and laws on how you should worship and how you're not, you should not worship. But there were over 600 laws that these guys knew and studied and they were called experts. But they didn't like Jesus and Jesus liked to call them out. So those interactions to me are very, very cool. But in an interaction with Jesus, they were trying to test him in this interaction. And they tried to trap him um, so that they could destroy his credibility. And for context, this interaction was in a public place. It could be something like this or just outside these doors. There's a lot of people watching. And Jesus was teaching. I'm going to get to my Bible notes here real quick because I wasn't ready. But Jesus is teaching in front of this crowd. And it says this in Matthew chapter 22, that one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, referring to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Out of all these 600, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And if you were to choose the most important commandment, what is it? Tell us. Now, again, the Pharisee, he wasn't curious. He was testing Jesus. And I can't help but imagine him thinking, aha. And then there's like maybe a Pharisee number two, and the Pharisee number two says, get him, Pharisee number one. And then all heads would like look over to Jesus, see what he had said. And Jesus said, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he continues, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then this goes on to say that everything, and then he says, everything in the law and the prophets are summed up in these two commands. If you were to kind of take your Bible and hold it in the air, 
everything is summed up in those two commandments. Love God with everything that you are, and just as much, love your neighbor. As much as you love and care and think about yourself, do the same for your neighbor. And I can only start to think about what the Pharisee might be thinking next. He'd probably be like, okay, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Makes me think about when I tell my boy, take out the trash. Okay, Dad, which one? Well, just take it out already. I thought that was a better joke. Maybe it'll come up later. I don't really know. (laughs) Who's my neighbor? Well, in another interaction at a different time, we, uh, we can read in the book of Luke, another expert in the law asked Jesus a different question, but Jesus answers the same. That expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Pharisees like to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Pharisee, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. It seems like we're kind of getting somewhere. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the expert wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, first, what does justify mean? Um, Why did he ask who his neighbor was? Well, there could be a lot of different reasons. Maybe he really didn't know and wanted clarity. But I would bet that he wanted to ensure that he didn't have to do more than the minimum when it comes to this. But Jesus, in his normal fashion, didn't answer the question. He told a story instead. He says, in reply... A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by rob- and then he was attacked by robbers. I would imagine you can actually probably open this up on Twitter today and watch people attacking other people. We saw it a couple years ago. It was really sad. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, but when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Priest sees a problem, crosses to the other side of the street keeps going. And so too, another guy called a Levite, which Levites in that day were assistants to the priest. They would help the priest do whatever they needed um, to help lead the public in worship. A Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. So priest goes around the problem. Levite goes around the problem. Now hear me when I say this. I'm not throwing guilt and shame Uh, But I'm just trying to bring us all into this passage a little bit. But how many times have we actually crossed the road to avoid a problem, a person sitting there? How many times have we done that? I have done that. Um, It's easy to do because, one, we don't know the situation. Number two, we just have places to be, and this looks like a burden to me. But Jesus continues, and he says, But a Samaritan... There's a lot of context in history to what a Samaritan is. It's not important here. Just think another person, an average person. As he traveled, came to where where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and then he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. I've never dumped uh, wine on a wound of mine. I feel like that would feel terrible, but things change. Then he put the man in his 2023 $290,000 SUV 
and brought him into an inn and took care of him. And then the next day, he took out two denarii, that's like two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. And then Jesus ends this story by asking the expert a question. Which of these three, these three people, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And in that game show, Jeopardy-style answer, and I started laughing when I put this in here, you hear the Pharisees say, what is the one who had mercy on him? And Jesus says, correct, for two denarii. I don't know, I thought that was really, I was... I didn't struggle to get through that, but I was kind of nervous because I was laughing pretty hard yesterday. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage, but here's what I love about the Samaritan. I used to hate this story because I'm like, don't tell me to go take care of people. I used to hate this part. But there's a lot going on in this passage. The Samaritan, he had his own life. He had things to do. He had places to be, and he probably had a family, and he, he noticed somebody in need. But So did the other two guys. They also noticed that there was a need, but this guy was different. And the difference between the priest and his assistant and the Samaritan is that the Samaritan took pity on the guy that was laying there. And to take pity means to have compassion, to have a heart for someone else in their situation. And trust me, It's hard to have compassion for some people. It is hard. And I'm sure you're already forming a list of reasons why some people don't deserve compassion. That's easy to do, but his compassion, his heart, is what led the Samaritan to practically meet a need of somebody else. And because of his compassion, he didn't turn his head away. Because of his compassion, he allowed the interruption in his life. He didn't let fear stop him. He didn't let the burden of the situation uh, keep him from going over to that man. And he didn't even call somebody else to take care of it. He showed this guy love and mercy. And he did whatever he needed to do to restore that person to where he needed to be. And this is what a heart of compassion and love does. Here's a question. If you were to put yourself in this story, would you be the Samaritan, the priest, or the Levite? Some of you might feel like the guy who was stripped of everything. That's okay. You can be there. But who would you be? And again, I can feel tension in the room when I ask that question because there's a lot of pushbacks. There, there comes a lot of what ifs, or Jimmy, that feels like a burden, or Jimmy, I'm not like that, or that's not my strength, or I don't have a heart like that, or I'm scared, I don't have the time, this feels way too big, and what if they don't deserve it, and Jimmy, I can't solve the world's problems on my own, they're just too massive, and I can't neighbor everyone that I run into like that. Well, let me release some of this tension for a moment. If we say, everyone is my neighbor, then it becomes extremely overwhelming. And this can become an excuse to avoid this great commandment altogether. But the issue with this mindset is that if we aim for everyone and everything, we will hit nothing. And so for the purpose of this series, and to make this a little less daunting, I want to go back to that Google Earth map here just for a second. What if we zoomed back into our own neighborhoods? 
And what if we put the focus on the ones who were already just a house away across the street, our literal neighbors? And what if you became a great neighbor to them like the Samaritan Jesus described? And really, what if we all became great neighbors to those who live literally next door or across the hall or in our dorms? What if? Again, I still, those, I still feel those pushbacks and those tensions and uncertainties, and we're going to continue to talk about these over the next several weeks. But if we did this, could this be the solution to society's biggest problems, or at least see them drastically reduced? I kind of want to say that maybe Jesus was on to something. He's kind of a genius. But I want to go back to the question that I asked earlier, and I want to put, put a little a disclaimer at the beginning now. I don't know if it's called a disclaimer, but I'm just going to say something. Hopefully it makes sense to you. But according to Jesus, do we have a responsibility to our neighbors? Not for them. Those are two different things. To them. And if that's the case, where do we start? Let's pretend for a moment that we are zoomed into your front door. But this time we're looking away from your house. I'm on your doorstep. That might be creepy to some people, but here we are. I'm on your doorstep. If you were to look around, what would you see? Do you see any practical needs? Do you see any relational needs? Do you see any spiritual needs? Maybe that single mom with several children a couple houses down, does she have any needs? Or maybe that elderly couple up the hill, what do they need? That neighbor who sits outside his garage all by himself and just kind of watches everybody else, what does he need? Does he have any needs? Again, this can be uncomfortable. We're going to continue to build upon this uh, series over the next three weeks. But for now, if we want to be a part of changing the world and making it a better place, number one, we simply have to become great neighbors who love well. And really, it's not a matter of if we want to or not. If you're a follower of Jesus, I say this with love, that we have to. It's a command. And we're his plan A. And he does not have a plan B. And great neighboring in our community will accomplish far more than we could ever do inside these four walls. Because there's going to be people who never step foot inside this building. And so we have to go to them. Now today was just an introduction to this uh, series, The Art of Neighboring. It's about our call to neighboring. But our hopes is that we can all begin to see our neighbor with different eyes and different hearts. Um, there's times when I'm walking down the street or in a store and, or whatever with my kids. And I'm like, hey, look at that. And they start, you know, where? You know, if you are a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, there. I have to literally like take their head top and turn it and be like, right there. That is the goal of this, this series. If I could gently take your heads, mine included, and turn them to look across the street and say, start there. That is what this series is about. There's a reason you are living where you are living today. In 2023, whether you live here in Elkhorn or you live four hours away in Gretna, 
I take 680 to Dodge and all the way around here because I can't stand that road to get there. I love the people that live there, though. But no matter where you're living there, living today, wherever you're watching from, there's a family that lives in Germany who's a part of Relevant. This applies to you. I'm a firm believer that as a follower of Jesus, the most important and impactful thing that we can ever do is to take this commandment seriously and love our neighbors and connect our story to their story and ultimately the story of God. So this is the easy week. As we close out today, I just want us to start praying for two things. I'm not even going to say go to your neighbor because people are like, oh my gosh, you know, losing your breath right now. Like, this is the easy week. I just want us to start praying for two things. This week, start praying for yourself, for him to give, for God to give you a heart of compassion a desire to know your neighbors, a desire to know their story, or for your eyes to be open in a new way and, and for you to start having a little bit of feelings for your neighbors. Not those kind of feelings, because, you know, if you're married, that you don't want those kind, but, like, just start praying for a heart of compassion for yourself this week. And the second thing I want you to pray for is start praying for them. Start praying for your neighbors, that God begins to move in their hearts and open their hearts. For those that don't know him, that they would start being curious about God. But I'd also like you to do something a little bit further than just praying, because we can do that in our house. I do want you to go outside your house this week and go for a walk through your neighborhood and just start praying as you're walking the streets. Just start praying, God, give me a heart for these people. God, I don't know this person. Give me a connection there. But as you walk by, if you know them by name, pray for them by name. You don't have to make it weird. Take your family out and do this. I'm going to do that this week as well. But there's around 89 neighborhoods in Elkhorn alone. 89. And within those 89 neighborhoods live all of you guys. I took all your addresses and I downloaded them two days ago into Google Maps. And there you are. And there's even a person that lives in the water. I'm not sure. <laughs> Down by the river, there, those people exist. I don't really know what's going on. But imagine if... This week, we did that. Look at all of the impact that we could have just through our prayers alone. Relevant Community Church. Four hours away in Bellevue. <laughs> Start praying this week. And imagine what God can do through our church. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much uh, for putting, well, for bringing Pastor Ronnie all the way here to Elkhorn to start the church so we can be a part of making a difference in this city and the, the suburbs and Omaha and, and even Gretna and all the places that we live in. God, our church is making, such a, uh, making a huge difference for, for you, only by you, though, that we're able to do that. But I pray that you turn our heads physically and help us see our neighbors this week. Help us have boldness and uh, courage to go and pray for these people. Um, but God, give our church a heart of compassion and love. In Jesus' name, amen.